0: Hey Security Peeps, we are back again today in our Breaking Into Cybersecurity Podcast series. I'm here with my fabulous co-host, Chris Folon. Say hi to everyone, Chris. Hey everyone. And our special guest today, Kat Murdoch. Say hi everyone to everyone, Kat.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: So happy to be here. I know we are super excited to have you here because of all of I've learned about your background based on what from what Chris has been telling me with all the different things that you've had going on, the social (laughs) engineering. I cannot wait for you to tell your story about how you got here to cybersecurity. And before we jump in, I usually just give a little tidbit about the podcast to anyone who has not been here before? So breaking into cybersecurity, the reason why we put this all together is be- because we had Chris and I both had tons of people reaching out to us, asking us pretty much daily, "How do we break in?" And we have guests like you come on, tell us, telling us how you broke into the industry, and in your case, it's really unique. So I'm really excited to hear about it, um, and for you to tell our guests about it, and then, um, and then we just dive in and ask more and more questions. Yeah. So. I'm going to kick it off to you. I know you're in the Colorado area and tell us about, you know, tell us about your journey.
1: Cool. Yeah, I would love to. Um, So I want to start off by saying that anybody who's interested in cybersecurity or information security, I think one of the most important things to remember is why are you excited? Because I think that that's often like your most marketable quality in the industry. Um, The whole idea of breaking in is I can tell you kind of exactly the moment that I had a security title, but it was almost like a slip accidentally into the industry based on a bunch of things that I now realize were passions of my own in all of my work. And they translate really nicely into information security. Um, So originally back in the day, I went to Duke uh, and I got a degree in public policy. And I really focused during that time on Transparency in information and journalism policy. Um, Big shout out to my, like probably my top mentor ever, uh, Professor Ken Rogerson. He ran this course called uh, Public Policy 114 and it was essentially a big memo writing course. And it was kind of ridiculous that every single week or two weeks you had to write a, you had to write a memo, like a compelling memo to a different type of stakeholder. So you'd have to make a point about one specific, you'd focus on one specific issue for the whole semester, and then you would have to argue that issue and communicate it properly to a variety of stakeholders. And this is translated, that, that is honestly one of the very first moments that I started acquiring my cybersecurity skill sets that weren't just my, um, my, in, my innate joys and drives and desires because it really taught me how to A, like properly articulate um, where issues were, where the gaps in those, those, um, where gaps and processes were, and then how to explain those things to a variety of people, which is extremely important in information security, because you're dealing with so many different stakeholders in an organization, and not all of them know what you're talking about. Um, So then in college also, and I never thought about this at the time as a cybersecurity role, but uh, it's a big, how I got the following job was also how I've gotten a lot of my security jobs, and it was really my first foray into information security. But I wound up working for a professor as a research assistant, in opt- and we were looking into optical character recognition and specifically how to utilize it to make government records increasingly transparent. Uh, so a lot of things in, in, in the U.S. government you're supposed to share with your public and your constituents but oftentimes and allow them to be open source essentially and open source searchable. <laughs> but there's this fun loophole where you can hand write things and put them in an archive and call them publicly available, uh, but they're not. And so our research really was grounded in how do we make this sensible How do we make this searchable for the public and the constituents that care? Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of put that and I wound up getting that job because I went through all the professors at Duke and all the ones that were doing cool research that I liked. And that was Mm -hmm. disruptive research. That was research that did add to transparency. It was research that allowed for, the aggregation of more information and data, which I do love. And I wound up emailing them and I told them why it would be great working for them. Um, I would say like, here are my skills. I'm really great at memo writing. I can <laughs> communicate to a variety of stakeholders. These professors are references. Hire me. Um, and it worked. <laughs> so I got paid like $25 an hour at 20 to do this nice. It's great money <laughs> to like college me. Um, and so then, you know, honestly, the recession hit in 2008. And uh, leaving college into the job world in 2010 was a bit alarming. So I wound up, um, and I really like to give up myself, so I wound up applying to a program called Teach for America, which is a very Peace Quarry-esque model. You um, agree to teach in a low-income school district for two years. Um, and essentially it's a, it's not only a crash course in teaching, but it's a crash course in proper management because you have no experience and you suddenly have to manage a room full of sixth graders, (laughs) um, which is not ideal. And so after that, I wound up being like, okay, I'm going to go back to my technology roots. And I was doing some e-commerce consulting and slowly it just kind of turned out that what I was looking at were were systems and where they break down. And I find a lot of joy in picking at systems and where the flaws are, and especially where those human components come into play, because human actors are are the most rogue and the least predictable compared to all of the the, the tech stack. So mm-hmm. that was really where I was like, you know what, the security thing is is very appealing to me. And for what it's worth, I went and I got a master's degree from Regis University out here in Colorado. Um, and while I was working on that, I got hired on with a company called Reveille Software, which is out of Atlanta. And they do um, essentially like transparency and electronic content management monitoring in that vein. And so that allowed me to get a little bit more granularly into the security space. And I was like, this is still really interesting. And so then I moved to um, a financial institution and I wound up doing security policy review and essentially like asset security for their Mm -hmm. potential investments. And that was a lot of policy review. So I got to use all those skills from college that I didn't necessarily like think were going to be immediately applicable here Mm -hmm. um, and use them again. And so that was super fun. And then I really wanted to, you know, keep digging. I love learning. And I think that if you are looking to get into this industry, that that is something that I've heard from almost everybody is people are constantly seeking new knowledge for themselves and for the industry. And they like to share it. So I um, was like, okay, well, this social engineering thing is really cool. How can I go and try that out? And so I wound up uh, doing the S E C T F at DerbyCon a few years ago. And I got the highest OSINT score ever. I got all but one flag (laughs) via OSINT. It's kind of my claim to fame. Um, And had a great time. And then I essentially did exactly what I did to the college professor. And I convinced Chris Adnaghi to hire me. (laughs) Because I was like, here are all the things I can do for you. Here's what I bring to the table. And so I went there for a couple of years. And it was a great time. And I've actually recently taken on the next step of my journey um, because I'm looking more into doing uh, I'm working with a company called Luminary Security as a consultant, and we are really doing investigations, forward research for companies, and we like to dig into what's available on you, and then we present to their user base on what is the potential problem, and we try to bring it down to a really granular level, because something that I've found and become really passionate about in the security awareness space is that people often don't care about their organization security because they don't actually understand how it affects them, and they don't understand how they can change and how what they can do and what ownership they can take. They feel like constant victims. They can do nothing about the spam calls they're getting. They can do nothing about the fish they're receiving. So I love speaking to just the end user about even even like non not in the organization about what they can do to think about their own security posture and their own operational security and take because if you, they care about their own, they're going to be more own security they're going to be more aware at work um so what luminary security does is we go and we do a whole corporate investigation and then we really tailor our learning um and speeches for that organization to hear your problem areas here's you know here are the scary attack vectors essentially because i love the adversarial mindset so i take that adversarial mindset and i do all the research and then we go in and we basically like politely scare them <laughs> and then tell them how to fix it. And I love that. And we're working with a lot of very up and coming rising companies and that a uh, hundred to 200% higher range that have a lot of, you know, we're really hoping to partner with them so that they can take their new baby products and grow them with security in mind. Because I do believe that the future is the secure development lifecycle from the get go and making a commitment from the beginning rather than know, being an established technology and now saying, oh, no, we have all these new problems. Let's start, you know, let's start adding band-aids to a tech stack that already exists. So that's my hope and that's my goal and really excited to be working with a great team and so sad to be leaving the social engineering realm, but all of those skill sets are so interesting and they definitely help when um, talking to the end user about what is alarming to, to them and why they should care.
2: Wow. Um a, a lot to unpack there. <laughs> ah,
1: sorry, <laughs> and forgot
2: it. it, it in, the, in the process we um we lost Renee. Uh she had technology problems. Uh, <laughs> but we will keep going. We're we're still streaming, we're still recording, so let's keep keep rolling with the show. Um so I guess let's start with unpacking your journey. Yes. Um so you mentioned when you were leaving college, and you were going to some of your first roles, you found a lot of transferable skills. Um, And I think that is often overlooked as an avenue to display the value that you bring to an organization, especially when you're uh, transitioning from a different field, or you're transitioning from a student to coming into the industry. Um, So let's talk about how you highlighted some of those transferable skills, um, talking to potential employers uh, for our guests to see that self-evaluation process for them.
1: Absolutely. So this is going to, I'm going to start with kind of the, the least exciting one. <laughs> so brace <laughs> yourselves. But quite frankly, solid report writing is one of the most sought after and undervalued, like underrepresented skill sets in the industry. The ability to articulately communicate the problem to the stakeholder that needs to care is really, really important. If we hand a pen test report over that is just full of technical jargon um, with no actionable steps and no way to translate that to the person, the you know the C level stakeholder who's reading it that's 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 a that's a problem for the security side of things and if you are a good report writer if you have the ability to take a problem and and translate it into words and give those words to someone else that's a huge asset um and more importantly while you're doing that you get you know if you can find a way to be like hey i'll help you write your reports but through this you're learning you get to see what every step was along the way you get to ask questions and you get to get those clarifying moments and then um so uh, having a Good solid report writing um, strategies and abilities is an amazingly marketable skill that can translate among multiple fields. Uh, so, that'd be number one. Number two is a constant ability to critically think and learn, wanting and finding your own answers. I think that no matter what sector of you know InfoSec or cybersecurity you're working in, Google is your best friend, whether it's open source intelligence, whether it's exploit dev, like being able to Google google the right questions and find a variety of answers and then be able to distill those answers down to how they apply to you and what you need is super important um so report writing critical thinking and then that kind of merges into a constant desire to learn and an ability to an an ability and desire to reassess what's what you have and what you need and to just sit down with somebody and say here's what i can give you right now here's what I'm working on, and here's what I'm more than happy to learn, but it's not where I'm at right now. It's my, my growth areas. So knowing those things about yourself and being really open about here's everything I bring to the table, and here's how you will immediately benefit from what I have to offer, um, combined with I'm so excited to learn these things um, that you offer here, that that attitude, I believe in this industry, is representative of the skill sets needed to succeed.
2: So, so we could break that probably down to communication, curiosity, and continuous learning.
1: Sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs)
2: Thanks, (laughs) (laughs) Chris. I made a memo for you. Yeah, love it. Um, Let Let's talk about your journey. So, Mm -hmm. oftentimes we we hear from some of our guests or some of the the individuals we've been interacting with. Uh Um, We've applied for X number of jobs. We were This is where we're playing. This is what we're doing. Um, You you made your story sound so easy that um, you wrote Chris Hagnacki and you you did
0: this.
2: (laughs) So was it like a one and done, or were you applying to other organizations? Were you um, tell us about your process?
1: So honestly, at that specific transition, I was getting quite quite board at the at the financial institution the venture firm I was working with because they were really interested in a lot of IOT companies and some of those ventured into like healthcare IOT which is extremely extremely early stage and so my job became a lot of saying no um, and like I'd even have to do a deep assessment I'd be like no you do not want to own this in the event that you in the event that they default on their loan and you do own it like this is a problem um so I was I wasn't necessarily looking all around I was looking for specific next steps. Um, I think that one of, regardless if it was that transition or a prior transition, I personally have rarely applied in, um, to large pools of applicants. Like I, I, like I don't necessarily go through, um, you know, indeed or Glassdoor or a big recruiting pool. I typically, you, I typically crutch on my network and I really invest in people and I like to, and that's not to say that it's not even, it's. I like to invest in organic relationships. I do typically enjoy talking to people and like-minded people, and I find all people fascinating. So I really recommend going to cons, going um, to networking events in your city, and getting to know people. Because sometimes the culture that you're moving into at your next role is more important than the work you're doing. And making sure you're on a team of like-minded people who also want you to succeed and recognize That careers and people are constantly evolving and constantly learning. So my biggest piece of advice is to like go and meet people, talk to people and as you do this you learn more about what you want out of your role and what you want out of the industry and what you can offer. Um, Because in some of these you know meet and greets or networking events you'll really vibe with somebody and you'll realize that you have a great idea and even though your skills may not be directly in security right now the ideas and the drive and the concept that you're bringing to the table is very in line with the other people. So I highly recommend like, um, if, and if social interactions or going to these things makes you a bit nervous, there are a lot of tools online. Honestly, even um, Jordan Harbinger's new podcast, I think the Jordan Harbinger Show, he gives a lot of good networking advice. Um, and even some of the things on the Art of Charm, if you take them into just a personal development um, level, Using social skills to craft relationships to get your next job is what I would recommend. It's a huge asset in all of my job application processes. So it's not necessarily that getting these jobs has been easy. It's that I try and approach it from a very different way so that I stand out. And I'm not just another resume. Um, it really is like a, you know me, you know we're on the same page. Let's work on this together because we're both so excited about it and we'll be great. So that that's, you know, really go out. Networking is my number one advice to almost anybody in any field.
2: Well, I guess being a social engineer, perfectly into that.
1: (laughs) There is probably a very strong overlap. Those Venn diagrams might be a circle. (laughs) Um,
2: So yeah, I mean, it's something that Renee and I stress all the time, um, networking, um, building connections in the community, um, because A, you get to know individuals, you can do informational interviews, you can find out whether that role is really right for you um, before, getting a job and doing that role and realizing that, no, this really yeah. isn't the right role for me. Um, plus they yeah. could be referrals. Um, yeah. You could tell them about uh, your, your vision, your mission, what you want to do and they could go, Oh, well, so-and-so is hiring for this position. Uh, let me connect you to. Um,
1: yeah. I think wow. honestly they can be good friends. Like you don't know, you yeah. you don't know when you're going to come in handy to someone else and when that person like might be able to do something handy for you as well. And I don't, I don't, I'm not saying like view your relationships as potential transactions in the future. That's like not what I'm saying at all. But I do think <laughs> that if you find, uh, if you can go out in the world and you just find some common threads, like really listen to somebody, suspend your ego, find that common ground with them. And I think you'll be surprised and let them do the talking. If if, if talking makes you nervous, which is ironic because I'm speaking a ton on this, like <laughs> I, I get that. <laughs> um, but if you let them do the talking, sometimes, you know, those 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 social interactions can be Um, a bit easier if you just ask them questions, actively listen to what they last said, and drill into that. And caring about others and being genuinely interested has honestly led to more job opportunities than I ever thought imaginable. Um, So yeah, the the power of networking. Thanks, Charles. But yeah, I I really, (laughs) like, I cannot stress it enough. Like, get out of your comfort zone, go out and make a friend this month, set yourself a goal.
2: (laughs) There you go, there you go. Um, Earlier you mentioned continuous learning, how do you keep current? How do you keep learning? What are some of the tips and tricks that you may have for our audience?
1: I will give you tips and tricks. I will also say that I feel like there's so much all the time that I'm just like, I'm constantly swimming through this. Um, first off reading, read everything, read every day. Audiobooks are great. Uh, Chris and I actually bonded recently over Dory Clark's entrepreneurial you book, which is quite amazing. Yeah. It's essentially like diversify, like, you know, everybody tells you to diversify your income investment so why wouldn't you diversify the resource that is your time and i think that that's a super powerful so learn and realize that even if you're not learning directly in your industry that there is a lot of trans transferable skills you have no you know dory clark is not speaking to cybersecurity Professionals, she's speaking to anyone, but it's very, very applicable. Um, read articles. Ars Technica, their journalists are amazing. But constantly stay up to date on the latest, um, latest news. I like to play a game where I, um, <laughs> where I threat model essentially, like things that are coming out. What do I see as the issue, and I write those down. So if something bad does happen later, I can, you know, kind of say, okay, was this was this casual news based threat model that I made accurate or not? Um, And then I always like, I do, I'm a very goal driven person. So I like to have a cert or a degree or something that I'm casually working in on the side because it doesn't, that keeps me even as opposed to just getting focused on the interesting stuff that my brain wants to go to. Um, I find a lot of power in stretching what I perceive to be my bubble. Um, So for example, I don't know if anybody's ever done this, but if you're scrolling through Twitter or whatever social media and you see something and your brain goes, oh, I don't want to read that because it's not its not my wheelhouse or it's not what I agree with or it's not what I want. So anytime I feel my brain do that, I actually stop myself and I make myself read that article because I think that stretching outside of what you perceive is what you should be doing, really important. So I constantly like to have some cert or degree or something that I'm working towards to make sure that I'm keeping my foundational knowledge even as well as pursuing the things that interest me and trigger me at that moment. Uh, so right now I am studying for my CISP. Um, the title of the book I mentioned, oh, Entrepreneurial You by Dory Clark. It's great. She is she gives you like really transparent steps to improving your ability to make money as yourself, which is great. Um, and it's an audiobook, so if you want to walk your dog and listen to it, you totally can. <laughs> Not that I've done
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually uh, recently read it myself and I, I shared it and it's on my book list as well. Nice. of um I have a, a list of different books to read and I love the audiobooks because I have a two hour commute um to and from Ooh. work. Yes. Um wow. so podcasts, uh um, right. audiobooks. <laughs>
1: hey, I'm impressed supporting
2: my, su- supporting my family, I guess. You um are a and, great and, man. And, and, and then finding Finding a place that you like working at and doing doing good things. Um, Exactly. So so you mentioned earlier doing a gap analysis, um, understanding where your skills are versus what either you want to accomplish or that you can bring to the table. Um, How do you recommend people go about doing that?
1: Hmm, that's a good question. So one of the things I do is I have a lot of running sticky notes. I, I, I keep honestly, I keep wanting to set a planner or a journal or something better, better sounding. But the bottom line is that whenever you start a new practice or a new system, you need to make it accessible for you. So I forgive myself sometimes from not being like, OK, I'm going to sit down. and I'm definitely going to write these things in a journal and it's going to be super formulaic um, because that's not necessarily how my brain works. And if I'd rather I'd rather make time for the practice, then stress about how I'm accomplishing it. So what I do is I have a bunch of running notes on my phone. And when I have ideas or I have downtime like a plane, I sit down and I do an audit of what I currently have to offer. I'm like, OK, here's what I've learned in the last year. Here's what I've learned in the last two years. And here's where I was five years ago. And I observe, like, OK, what has grown? And then how can I put a label over those skill sets? Um, so social engineering was a you know an easy one to label because it was like the title of my job. Um, and I I wound up saying like, okay, well, I actually see where these skills started before I even had this job. And now I see the actual words to use to communicate them to other people. Um, and so doing an audit of what you've been learning is the first step. And then asking yourself, what do you think you want to be doing next? And I say think, because it's really important to allow yourself to change your goals. As you learn more, your goals will become more refined and you'll understand a bit more about what actually makes you happy and what interests you the most. So constantly forgive yourself for changing your mind to an extent. Um, so audit what you have. Think about where you want to go. So do you want a job as a pen tester? Do you want a job as a CISO? Do you want to be an advocate? How do you want to get there? And then I always like, under underneath all of this, underneath just the industry stuff, I like to keep in mind, what kind of life do I want to be living? Um, I dislike the idea of tell me your five-year plan. I think that the five-year plan from the 80s, 90s interviews is too confining. But I do like the idea of what do you want your life to feel like in five years? Do you want to have flexibility? Do you want to be climbing a corporate ladder? Do you want to be working in a small company that may be growing rapidly? Or do you want to be working in a bigger company that may have some stability? So understanding what you want for your life can often help play into what is that next step and what is that goal for this gap analysis. And then I would go and I would read a bunch of Glassdoor reviews of the jobs you think you want. And which is very OCENTY, I get that. <laughs> um, and kind of write down like what certs are they looking for? What skills are they looking for? And what are those you have and what are those you not have? And I then when you do that, I would also say you do not need to have every single one of those skills, especially like statistically, ladies listening, don't be afraid to apply to a job that you may not be perceived as qualified for, especially not in this industry. This industry needs smart, intelligent, hardworking, interested people. It's extremely understaffed. And the statistic I'm referring to, which I'm not going to try and quote because I don't remember it off the top of my head, but women are much less inclined to to apply to jobs that they perceive they are not qualified for but do not be afraid to shoot for the moon do a little bit of extra research after you do this if you're like this is where I want to be this is what I have write that down in like an email format write you know on your own open a word doc and write the email you would send to somebody make it very short two to three paragraphs max with two to three sentences per paragraph saying, this is what I offer you, this is where I wanna go, and this is why we're, we will work well together, and try to get around that hiring process. Don't don't be afraid to scent oh, your way into finding the person who is doing the hiring, finding that talent acquisition manager, be really dogged and stand out from the pack, because if you just apply, if you just stick your resume into a pile, people may not see how special and perfect you realize you are for that role.
2: Yeah. That yeah, I think um, you're, Definitely echo what you just said. And at a at, uh, recent Tribe of Hackers, um, there was a, a a quote, I think it was from Kristen um, Berger. I definitely mispronounced her name, but um, her quote was um, For the women out there, apply like a mediocre male would. And
1: for yes. <laughs> <laughs> that one in some social circles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, don't um... be afraid.
2: Yeah, I, I, and for, for the individuals that I mentor, I, I definitely um, promote that because if you just the, just the letter that you propose to write, if you did that, you would, you would be up over 95% of the individuals because yep. A, you, you prepared yourself for the role, you did the gap analysis of where you are and what you can bring to the table. And, and most people wouldn't even be able to articul- uh, articulate that in an interview, in a document, anything and a hiring manager would see that and be like already okay well let's at least talk to this person and and see where things line up
1: Yeah. And the number of times I've had, honestly, the number of times I've had recruiting managers or talent acquisition, whatever their title may be, people reach back out and say like, okay, well, can we 1099 you if you're not perfect for this role? Or we want to find a way to hire you in the future. If if you stand out from the pack, people will go out of their way to make a role that fits what you bring to the table and what you want to learn, which is amazing. I'm not going to say it's going to happen every single time, but if you Do this frequently enough if you practice it, if you see what works and what doesn't, and really if you keep every time you get a response, don't be harsh on yourself about rejection. Look at the learning opportunities from that interaction and apply them next time. Like, I believe very strongly you will be surprised at the positive feedback you will get. The number, really, people, especially larger, mid to large size companies, like they have the budgets to create the roles that they believe they need. So don't be afraid to pitch the role that you want and that you can do.
2: Okay. Okay. Um, we're approaching the, 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 the end yeah. of our show. So I have one last question that I always yes. ask. If you had one piece of stage advice for someone following in your footsteps coming along this journey for themselves, what would that piece of sage advice be?
1: I think it is listen to your critics and also listen to your gut instincts But don't let either of those things derail you from your goals. You're going to have people who doubt what you bring to the table. You're going to have people make you question what you feel yourself. And you're going to question, you know, where is this feeling that I'm having coming from? And I don't believe that any one of those pieces of feedback or feelings or sentences, what have you, I don't think any single one is how you should walk away definitively feeling. I think they all have value. I don't think, don't let your critics get you down, but recognize what they're saying and how you can combat that in the future. Recognize the feelings that you're having, but don't don't get mired in self-doubt. Appreciate everything that's passing through your brain and then try and figure out a way to either improve from it or learn from it or put it on the back burner and say, okay, they said this thing. Let me see if I do that again in the future and if it is something I need to work on or if it's just a product of this one aspect of communication with this critic, whether it be they read a blog post and they hated on it or somebody in a hiring interview. Don't let self-doubt get you. Don't let critics get you. But I think that there's always something to learn from those moments. So approach them really positively, because you will definitely have them. Um, and there's always so much to learn in this industry. It's very easy to get derailed by somebody who says, like, but wait, don't you need X? Or get derailed by your heart saying, but wait, you don't have Y. So really, just anytime you feel those moments of, hey, is this Is this negativity right? Don't let it get you down, but take it as a learning opportunity. I think that that is one of the biggest things that has pushed me through this career.
2: Wow. Um, (laughs) You've been absolutely amazing. We're we're definitely going to have to invite you back. Um, Well, Renee's not here, so she can't give her closing words, but um, she will close us out in the background. And I just want to thank you so much for your time and truly appreciate it.
1: Thanks y'all. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for all the love in the chat. I see you guys. Thanks Charles. I'd love to come back. Definitely stay in touch Um, and check out luminary sec, uh, dot com. It's pretty bare bones, (laughs) but we'd love to hear from you. We're really excited about all we're doing. Um, And yeah, let's, I don't know. My new thing is like, let's definitely make sure that we um, marry our biz dev friends with our security goals that we can work towards a more secure future.
2: There you go. Perfect. Luminary
1: sec sec, Rene, not tech. (laughs) A <laughs> gluminary like security. But thank you.
2: <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you very much, uh Renee. You can close out whenever you
0: can. Bye all. Bye.